Hey, welcome back, everybody, to another Vince August podcast, episode number 43. Um, had a little hiccup in the recording times of these episodes. I know I said I was going to be back regularly. Um, had to take a little break. I actually had a series of shows. Uh, went back and performed at the Friars Club in New York City on April 1st. That was a, a fun big night. And uh, anytime you perform there, you got to make sure you're on your A game. Um, then had some technical problems last week report, recording the podcast, cleared those up, so we're back. Um, topic I want to jump on um, that's not only in the national news in North Carolina, but coming pretty close to home here in my own uh, hometown county, or home county, I should say, of Bergen County, is an issue with regards to the transgender laws and locker rooms and restrooms. Um, This is becoming a a really big issue, and and everyone is kind of jumping all over it. And um, I had an opportunity to kind of look into what was going on in North Carolina. And North Carolina, while as much as it's about um, the issue with the equal treatment of transgender people, there's also a, a heavy legal issue with regards to the law and um, I'm going to get into that also I want to talk about um, protesters and and how it's now uh, affecting not just Trump and his reaction but we saw Hillary Clinton have a a meltdown against a protester and she lashed out at somebody being sent over from Sanders camp Um, and and, you know it goes to show that everyone can get rattled um, also, the, the whole tone of that campaign has changed, and it's, it's starting to morph and become more and more like what the Republicans were um, or, or have been throughout. And finally, I want to get into a, a lighter topic. The Great American Pastime is back. Or is it? Um, baseball stadiums are empty across the country, and it's really sad what has become of our national pastime and and. Uh, I want to briefly get into that. But first of all, this law with regards to transgender people, um, let me get into how it is affecting North Carolina. Transgender people are barred under a new North Carolina law from choosing bathrooms consistent with the gender they identify with. Um, and they filed, and, and there's people that filed a lawsuit Uh, in federal court arguing that the measure is discriminatory and threatens their personal safety. Um, North Carolina became the first state to enact a measure or law that requires people to use bathrooms and locker rooms in schools and other public facilities that match the gender on their birth certificate, according to... um, the National Conference of State Legislators. Now, uh, the argument against this is that you're kind of singling out the LGBT community um, and its disfavorable treatment and its discrimination against the LGBT community. It violates a basic guarantee of equal treatment under the U.S. Constitution Um, And that's the purpose of the lawsuit, the federal lawsuit. Now, what North Carolina did, their state is obviously Republican-dominated, 
they passed a law during a one-day special session. Now, here's the key to this, okay? This one-day special session was called to repeal a Charlotte City ordinance that would have allowed bathroom choice based on gender identity versus sex at birth. Now, there's two things going on here that are very important from a legal standpoint. All right, take the emotion out of this for a minute. The city of Charlotte puts in an ordinance, and you know their own legislature on the city level says, here's what we want to do. We're going to say that bathrooms can be used based on gender identity versus birth sex. The state legislature calls a special a special session basically for no other purpose than to repeal that law um, now I've argued this for for many many months of doing this podcast and years of my life when our government wants to get something done they can get something done gun reform um, whether it's uh, banks and you know bailing out banks, when bottom line is when our government wants to do something, they'll do it. And this is a perfect example of that, because here were the state legislature sitting at home doing nothing. Charlotte, the city of Charlotte puts forth an ordinance that they disagree with. And, man, they, they ran to get into a special session to overturn that. Now, the state lawmakers also voted to prohibit local governments from enacting anti-discrimination protections based on sexual orientation and gender identity. Forget about the bathroom-locker room issue for a second. I want you to think about this one. The lawmakers voted to prohibit a local government, meaning you're prohibiting a city, a town, a borough, from enacting anti-discrimination protections based on sexual orientation and gender identity. So if a town, a borough, a city finds that they have a problem within their boundaries, within their jurisdiction, that people are being discriminated against based on their sexual orientation and gender identity, that town, borough, city is prohibited from enacting an anti-discrimination protection. That to me is unbelievable. And here's the reason why it's, it's especially unbelievable. All we hear from the Republicans is smaller government, smaller government, smaller government. Don't reach into my house. Don't reach into our lives. Leave us alone. You're here to work for us, not to work for, you know, we don't work for you. We don't want the national government infringing upon our local government. We don't want the national government reaching into our schools, reaching into our bedrooms, et cetera, et cetera. And what does this really Republican-dominated North Carolina legislature do? Exactly the opposite. They basically are telling towns, boroughs, cities, cities, Charlotte, big city, everybody. Charlotte's not small. They're basically telling them, if you have a problem in your city that deals with sexual, sexual orientation and gender identity, and you want to try to resolve it, you can't do it by enacting 
and anti-discrimination protection. Well, here's the question. How the hell are they supposed to protect their people? I mean, so what, what you're basically doing is saying, listen, if people are being discriminated against based on their sexual orientation and gender, um, yeah, just work it out because you can't enact an ordinance to protect them. And if there's no ordinance to protect them, then it's not a crime or a violation. So the police can't do anything. So you just got to kind of work it out. That's really crazy here. And again, this is not about the LGBT community as much as I'm talking right now about just legally the ramifications of this. I mean, let, let's take this out of, you know, what for some people might be a difficult topic to deal with. I don't know why, but let's suppose that it's a difficult topic to deal with. That goes across the board on any type of discrimination. Because if you can pass it with regards to sexual orientation or gender identity, someone can easily argue that you can enact or prevent a government from enacting anti any anti-discrimination protection based on race, based on social standing, based on any. Take whatever discrimination you want. Basically, now you can argue in North Carolina that a local government cannot enact any type of protection for a discriminated class. That, from a legal standpoint, as an attorney and as a a former judge, that's really problematic for me. I got to tell you, that's mind-numbing that North Carolina is doing this. I can't see a federal court upholding that. I really can't. Um, And now, see... Here's where we get into, again, another interesting area with regards to the courts now telling the state legislatures, legislators, listen, you you can't do that. There's simple laws against this. Where does the line get drawn now with our legislators passing laws just on whims and all of these laws have to eventually be reviewed by courts, because technically what this showed me is, you know what, if a legislature, if a legisl- if a legislator and the legislation of a state want to, they can enact any short term measure to resolve whatever issue they want to address in a short period of time. And then the only way to overturn it would be by filing a legal action to overturn it and by the time the legal action actually overturns it that period of time allowed for some form of discrimination or some form of action or prevention of action that basically lets the government do whatever the hell it wants so i mean you you can get crazy with this thing you can enact a voting law that prohibits, you know, certain people from voting in certain jurisdictions. We're kind of seeing it. I think we saw it in Arizona. You can you can really enact. I mean, any type of law sh- with a short term effect and force people to go to court to overturn the law. And then the issue becomes: All right, well, during that period of time, this was something that the legislation enacted, 
and I acted in accordance with it, and you can't get me in trouble for acting in accordance with it, so that if a gay person came into my establishment and went to use a bathroom, and I discriminated against that person, and you know belittled that person or whatever I did, if they tried to sue me later, I can say, well, hold on a second. My state legislation enacted a law that says I could do it. You can't sue me. Then if you go out and protest that establishment, because we're seeing a lot of that lately, and you try to bash that establishment, you then can be sued for defamation, slander, libel, or whatever you want, because that person can say, wait a minute. Listen, my state government enacted a law. I acted in accordance with that law. And now you're telling me that I'm a homophobe on this and that. No, I was just operating within the boundaries of the law. If you see where I'm going here, it that's has this law has such an unbelievable domino effect that you can just keep knocking over the dominoes where this thing becomes a bigger and bigger problem. I mean, it's it's absolutely amazing to me that a, a legislation can get away with that. Um, he, here is the interesting thing. The North Carolina Senate leader, this guy Phil Berger, and the House Speaker Tim Moore, both Republicans, surprise, surprise, I, I mean, Caitlyn Jenner, where are you when we need you to read this? said they were confident the law would be upheld in court. I would love to know what Phil Berger and and Tim Moore, what their background is. If they're lawyers, wow. You know, how, how did you guys get through law school? I mean, listen, this lawsuit, basically it, it takes the debate out of the hands of voters. And, you know, you, you start to create these rights And I don't know how you argue this. And the funny thing is, their argument, Phil Berger and Tim Moore, is so unbelievable. What they're saying is that this lawsuit takes the debates out of the hands of the voters. Yes, you are. You're taking the hand out of local voters in Charlotte. And instead attempts to argue with a straight face that there's a previously undiscovered right in the United States Constitution for when, for men to use women's bathrooms and locker rooms. Now, first of all, notice what the sentence is there. For men to use women's bathrooms and locker rooms. Talk about completely insensitive to the LGBT community. Because first of all, again, gender identification What you're basically saying in that statement, in this joint statement, is if a man has gone through all of the necessary changes, and again, I'm going to take the most popular person, not because this person is a good example by any means of what this community should be represented by, but it's just because you can all understand and relate to who it is, Caitlyn Jenner. By Caitlyn Jenner making this transformation, okay, basically what you're saying is that's still a guy trying to use a woman's woman's bathroom. 
that's basically what these two leaders, okay, North Carolina Senate leaders are saying. And and they're saying that people are trying to make that argument with a straight face. How do you say with a straight face, this is, Caitlyn Jenner is just a guy trying to use a woman's bathroom. I mean, that that to me is such an idiotic statement. It's absolutely unbelievable. Now, now, here's the other thing that North Carolina says. State lawmakers have warned of the dangers that could result from men sharing bathrooms with women, and here's the key, and young girls. Again, look at the picture they're painting. They're painting a picture of a guy basically in drag trying to get into a woman's locker room to be around women and young girls. I got to tell you, talk about being completely out of touch with the LGBT community. That's not the reason why people are becoming transgendered. That's not why someone wants to associate themselves or does associate themselves with the opposite gender. I mean, it's not to get close to women and young girls. I mean, that that to me is really offensive in terms of a lack of intelligence. And I'm not saying offensive that, oh, my God, I'm so offended. I don't know how I'm going to live. You know, you wrote Trump on chalk uh, on a, a sidewalk. I don't mean offensive that way. I mean, it offends my intelligence. That's this is what you believe. And what they're saying is transgender plaintiffs said they would be vulnerable because making known they are transgender puts them in a higher risk of violence, which I believe. Again, I'm going to use the, uh, the popular example, Caitlyn Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner. Be honest, people. And listen, if, if you're if you're homophobic or whatever, OK, I want you to think of it this way. Where is Caitlyn Jenner? Most likely to have a problem. Caitlyn Jenner walking into a men's bathroom or Caitlyn Jenner walking into a woman's bathroom. If Caitlyn Jenner is going to be discriminated against, if Caitlyn Jenner is going to be potentially physically attacked, where is that most likely to happen? I'm going to argue a men's bathroom. Now, there's another another side of this that's recently come up in a Bergen County high school with regards to use of locker rooms. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, to me, the issue with adults using bathrooms and using the bathroom they identify with based on gender identification, I don't think is an issue. I really don't. And I'm going to tell you why. Because when a woman who's transgendered from being a man and is now a woman, a man who's transgendered from formerly being a woman is now a man. When they go to the bathroom, they're using the bathroom to go to the bathroom. There's private stalls in there. Don't forget what we're doing in bathrooms, okay? We're going to the bathroom to go to the bathroom. If people are going to the bathroom with the purpose of some type of sexual deviant behavior, I got news for you, everybody. Someone's not going to go through a sex change operation to have that result. 
Okay, you don't have to go through a sex change operation to engage in deviant behavior in a bathroom. I mean, that that's a stretch. Okay, they they're going to the bathroom to use the bathroom. Okay, so let let's put that issue to rest. When it comes to a locker room, that when you're dealing with people that are not yet adults, specifically high school, middle school. This is where, for me, the waters are a little bit more muddied, and I'm going to tell you why. It goes to, again, the threat, the danger. Now, where I believe Caitlyn Jenner, as a woman, is more likely to find herself in a bad situation by using a men's room, I don't know in high school that the same theory applies because if you have a young teenage boy who identifies as being a girl and now wants to use the girl's locker room, when you're dealing with high school kids, when you're dealing with middle school kids, girls can be mean. Girls can be catty. Same thing works the other way. You have a girl who identifies as a boy stepping into a boy's locker room in high school, testosterone at an all-time level for a high school boy. Listen, I'm going to tell you something right now. Let me put it to you this way. I went to a very strict Catholic grammar school, and we had uh, K through 4 on the first floor, and we had grades 5, 6, 7, and 8 on the, on the top floor. And we had the boys' bathroom and the girls' bathroom. There was one bathroom. And when you graduated to the second floor and got into the fifth grade, we would have this recess period that would be from 10.15 to 10.30. And when you went to the bathroom and you were in the fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, you knew there were eighth graders waiting there in the bathroom to pound on you. And... At some point in time, if you tried to go to the bathroom, someone would kill the lights and you would get jumped and it would be a brawl in the bathroom. And this, I swear, this is the truth. This went on in my grammar school Um, and it went on all through fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. And I remember I was class president in the eighth grade and my friend Louis Perez was student council president and we were walking by the bathroom one day. And we heard, you know, our friend Harry in the bathroom screaming, turn him on, turn him on. And the door, the door was banging against uh, the frame. And we looked at each other and said, dude, let's just go downstairs and make sure everyone else is okay. And we had to walk the halls. By the time we came upstairs, our eighth grade teacher, Sister Rose, burst into the bathroom with our seventh grade teacher, Miss Wineland, started literally pulling guys out of the bathroom Lined them all up. You had people with eyeglasses missing a lens. Um, shirts pulled out of pants. Ties ripped off of people. It was a brawl. It was an out-and-out brawl. And this went on on a regular basis. It was part of the initiation of going up to the top floor in this grammar school. And you just got pounded on. It's a little bit different. When you start talking about middle school and high school with regards to the dangers or the threats. Listen, people are mean and suck in general. But I think when you have, the, especially what we have going on right now. You have, you know, there's, there's mean girls, you know, the movie and, and there's you know, high school kids could be really aggressive. We have all these anti-bullying measures and these anti-bullying contracts. 
And listen, high school was brutal for me. I hated high school. Um, it was a brutal time emotionally. You're a, a wreck. <laughs> you're you're um, you know going through all kinds of changes, physical, mental, emotional. To throw somebody in that situation, I I don't know, and I don't have the empirical data. I don't have research in front of me that says a boy who identifies as a girl is going to be just as safe in the girls' locker room as he would be in the boys' locker room and vice versa. A boy, you know, a girl identifies as a boy being safer in the boys' locker room as a girls' locker room. I don't know if that's the same thing, and I can't make that argument. I don't know. Maybe somebody out there can educate me and give me the empirical data that shows me what's going to be safer, and I think that's something that's got to be researched. I think someone's going to have to show me what is actually a safer environment for transgendered young people when it comes to locker rooms as adults i don't see this being an issue i think this is really incredible but more disturbing than the actual reaction to the lgbt community to me is the fact that you could enact a law that prevents anti-discrimination on local levels from a state government that to me is just as problematic so Uh, I spent a lot of time on that topic, but I I think it's important for the many levels that I tried to get into there. Now, um, Hillary Clinton recently was um, approached by a a person that she claims to be uh, from the Sanders campaign um, questioning her taking money from... These companies, uh, you know, that are environmental companies, um, and she did not have a really good reaction to this protester. Um, She kind of snapped at this person, um, and it was an up-close confrontation, and it shows that anybody in the wrong situation could be rattled. And we've heard about, um, you know, how Trump misreacts to these situations, how, you know, how Trump is not handling right and he's telling people to be violent. Well, Hillary Clinton's no better. And I'm going to try to play this and hopefully the sound is is high enough and the volume's high enough so you can hear it. So here is um, Hillary Clinton and her reaction to this protester. Okay, so here we go. All right, so there she is, yelling and pointing at a woman. I am so sick of the Sanders campaign lying about me. And she lashes out at this Greenpeace activist, and she waves her finger at her about five or six times in the piece, which I guess that's a Clinton thing because, you know, they like to wave their fingers and point when they're by, I did not have sexual relations and with the finger waving, remember? Um, the point of this is, you know, listen, I, the best of people get rattled in a situation when they're being attacked and they don't have the right answer. We see it from Trump. We've seen it from Cruz. We've seen it from Clinton now. And now it's starting to creep in to the Democrats. And the latest thing that we've been seeing 
between Clinton and Sanders is the two of them going back and forth, arguing how neither one of them is qualified to hold the position of president. Now, Sanders kind of stepped away from it a little bit and said, listen, I said it about her because she said it about me. But you know what? Yeah, I guess she's qualified. Clinton didn't back down from the fact that she said Sanders isn't qualified. So it's become, well, you said it about me and I said it about you. My point is this, everybody. The Republicans, for the better part of the last four months, have been an absolute joke with regards to the debates, with regards to tweeting about each other, with regards to how they've handled themselves in a professional manner. And the Democrats have come out looking so good and so professional. And so, hey, listen, we're going to argue our points. We're going to argue our basis, but we are not going to get into a tit for tat. We're we're not children like the Republicans are. You see them? Look at them. You want to vote for that? After seeing this for four months, After watching this go on for all this time and looking as good as you do, how in April, as we get closer to the election, do you fall apart now? How do you fall apart now? I'm going to tell you how. You start to lose a little bit of ground and a little bit of momentum. And that's what's happening To Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton, for lack of better phrase, for lack of better term, is starting to feel the burn. B-E-R-N. She's feeling the burn and you're seeing her start to react in a way no different than Trump and Cruz. And Sanders, on the other hand, you've got the upper hand. You see her falling apart. You can continue to rise above. And what do you do? Well, she said it about me. I said it about her. You know, listen, what matters right now is that we are on the right course. And the right, Really, Bernie? Are you kidding me? You actually said she said it about me, so I said it about her. You're actually going to take that playground response which we have been mocking the Republicans for for the last five months and use it. This brings me to the point that I've been making for the last couple of podcasts since I've been doing this again in 2016. Please, please wake up, everybody. They are all the same. They are all the same. The Republicans are trying to undermine Trump. In fact, the Republicans would rather see Clinton win than Trump because they know at least they can wheel and deal with Clinton because they can't wheel and deal with Trump. The Republicans would rather put anybody in Trump's place, even if it means not Cruz, not Trump, losing to Clinton just because they can't control Trump. Clinton is starting to lose it because Sanders is catching up. This game is rigged. It's rigged, and they don't want anyone to play 
in their playground, in their sandbox, other than them. They're all the same. It's unbelievable that even the Democrats, who for the longest time were on such a higher level, have now sunk. And they're sinking at the worst time. They're sinking as they get closer to the election. Listen, better off you do this crap in November 2015 to March 2016 and then clean up your act moving forward because we live in America we're, we're a country full of goldfish with short-term memories. Don't do this now. I mean, you you got to be kidding me that you guys have done so well for so long and now the wheels are going to fall off the wagon? And listen, dealing with this type of response, you say, well, Vin, you don't know what the pressure is. I'm a stand-up comedian. As much as I, I'm a lawyer and a judge, I've been on stage, I've been heckled. I'm in the freaking movie Heckler, for Christ's sakes. Dealing with an issue of a heckler. The Jamie Kennedy documentary heckler. I'm in the movie. I'm in, I'm in the movie. I'm in the, 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 the preview of the movie. You have to know how to deal with different situations. And listen, like comedians, certain comedians can handle it. Others need security to remove the comedian. They don't do crowd work. Some politicians can handle it. Some need security to remove the person. Now, here's the difference, though, between... A protester, a heckler, what's useful and what's not. When I perform as a stand-up comedian, we don't need someone in the audience as comedians to help us with our act, okay? When we're on stage, you heckling us tries to make the show about you. When you go to a rally and you start heckling and screaming from the back, you're trying to make it about you. And you know what? All of those people gathered there not to hear you. They gathered there to hear the person who is the speaker. And for you to go there and be disruptive, you know what? You really have nothing better to do with your life. And before you do that, assuming you do have a job, imagine someone coming to your job and doing that to you. This is common courtesy. This is common etiquette. And this goes for going to rallies, for going to comedy clubs and everything. This is just a general lack of respect that we have for one another. Now, in Hillary Clinton's situation, she was off stage and she was walking through people. Now, that's a different story. Once you're done and you have to deal with the audience, hey, all bets are off. So when I walk off stage, if I hang out in the main lounge and people come out of the showroom and they want to start saying, uh, talking smack to me for my jokes or whatever, that's a different scenario. Now you got to face the music. But when you're on stage at a podium and people are heckling you, some people can deal with the situation, others can't. But at the same time, you shouldn't have to deal with the situation when you are at a place doing your thing. And I bring this up in a specific incident that took place on Easter Sunday this year. And I saw it in the New York Post and and all the different online media sources hit it. In a real, you know, bottom of the page type story. There were some protesters that went to St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City on Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday is like the Super Bowl for Catholics, right? You are going to their building where they are praying on their biggest celebration. 
and protesters stood up with body cameras mounted to their chest or hanging around their chest for the purpose of, of starting this protest about eating live animals or eating animals and, and how livestock is mistreated. And a lot of people thought they had bombs strapped to their chest, not cameras. It created a panic. You know what? When you start stepping into houses of worship to protest, you're really, really, really crossing some major lines. And what I notice is you tend to do it, protesters, with Catholics. You tend to do it with religions that you feel or think you will not have the same response because I don't see anybody going into mosques and pulling that. You'll pull that stuff in a Jewish temple. You'll pull that stuff in, in a Catholic church. You know, there's certain religion, certain buildings you won't go into and pull that. I'm sure you're not going to pull a protest at an NRA meeting for fear of what's in there and who's packing guns. So you pick and choose your spots and you seem to search out the weak prey. And you know what? That's cowardly. So when you go to these um, rallies, you go to comedy clubs, you go to churches, you go to these places to protest you tend to do it in a situation where you know you're going to be safe and you know you're going to get away with it and you know you could be a spectacle and you do it irrespective of the right of the person on stage, at the podium, at the altar, at their meeting, just so you can get your point across. There's better ways to do it. There's more courteous ways to do it. That's just an absolute trouncing of people's rights. And you know what? This is where protesting is going really south in this country. This is why protests are not being effective anymore in this country. Because now everybody's a protester and everybody's a... You know, it used to be Woodstock was a huge event because it happened so rarely that you had that type of gathering, those types of numbers with a purpose where everybody was unified. Now... You see protests everywhere, and it's 15 people here, 20 people there, sometimes 30 people here. And then you have the protests where you do have big numbers, and they don't even know why they're protesting. They're just blocking traffic. You have to have a uniform message. You have to have a purpose and an intent, and you have to have an audience you will actually have an effect on. Protesting this country right now, all it's doing is pissing people off. And you were actually turning people off to your cause. And for the protesters who went to St. Patrick's, you know what? I'm a person who actually gave up eating meat for Lent eight years ago and never went back. You have a lot of people that you could affect with your message. People like me. But yet when I see that, you know what? You even turn me off to your message. And I happen to agree with your message. So... Not only are you not having an impact on the people that you could possibly affect, but now you're pissing off the people that actually agree with you because your means of affecting change is so faulty, it's so damaged, that it's actually turning people off. All right. Last topic, really quick. Um, it is, I'm taping this on April 11th, 2016, and we are into the Major League Baseball season. And baseball 
has been known to be America's pastime. And I don't think that's any longer the case. And it's not the case for many reasons in this country. One, the popularity of the NFL. And when you think about that, um, not that I don't love professional football. I really enjoy it. I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Um, I, I, I do get into the games. Of course, I watch my team. Um, I'm not a per se football fan. I, I root for the Steelers. When my team is out, I really don't care who wins anymore. Um, I, I watch the Super Bowl for entertainment purposes alone. I don't care who wins the game. In fact, I tend to root against teams that are getting closer to my team's number of championships. Um, but other than that, I don't have a rooting interest. Baseball was the one game I can honestly say I enjoyed watching because of what it was. It it Baseball to me was synonymous with America growing up as a kid. It really was. And even, you know, growing up a Pittsburgh Pirate fan, when the Pirates were struggling, you know, I could watch a player like George Brett, who became one of my favorite players growing up as a kid, and I could watch him play and watch different baseball players play and enjoy just the game. And, of course, then the game became very tainted by the steroid scandal, um, and it it just changed. And then the balls were juiced, and then, you know, it became like a video game when Bonds was hitting, you know, 80 home runs in a season, and, and every at-bat was either a home run or a walk. The game became ridiculous. And, listen, the commissioner's office did that. Baseball did that because they were losing fans because of the strikes, because of collective bargaining agreements. And their fans had walked away, so they had to do something to bring the game back. And I'm convinced that they made the baseball wrapped a certain way where it left the ballpark much easier. They, The, the baseball commissioner, Bud Selig, did nothing to stop the steroid thing. In fact, I think he, in a roundabout way, encouraged it with McGuire and Sosa and what was going on that everybody saw. Um, and the fans slowly started to come back because of it and then they had to change their image and start steroid testing and everything else and we're left with the game that we have today and the game that we have today is being played in front of for the most part empty stadiums because no one can afford to go to baseball games Uh, the Boston Red Sox I think have the highest um, average ticket price to go to a baseball game uh, New York Yankees are not far behind. When you look at what the average is to take someone to a Red Sox game based on the median price, somewhere in the ballpark of like $100 a ticket, and that's not soda, beer, and everything else. I mean, a night at a game for four people, you're looking at about 1000 bucks if you want to sit anywhere near the field. Then you have situations where you have teams like the San Diego Padres where you have an affordable situation the Pittsburgh Pirates, the smaller market teams that you tend to root for. You want to root for them. You want to see them do well because they allow the fans to come back to the game. And then there's the fact that players are no longer accessible to fans for the most part because these stadiums have so much security, you can't get near the field. I remember as a kid, the whole point of going to a game was going to batting practice, you get near the players. You don't even get that anymore. So there's this weird dynamic where you just, you know, the the game is no longer really a a game accessible to the fans. It's so far now. Listen, for kids, it's completely different because there's there's too many choices now Um, in terms of playing baseball. You have lacrosse, you have soccer, you have 
activities that they could do instead. I mean, when I grew up, you, you played the, the, the major sports. You played baseball, basketball, football, and if you were lucky enough to live in an area where they had any type of ice, hockey. Um, but for the most part, those were it. Now there's CrossFit, there's gymnastics, there's, you know, everything is accessible to a kid. Then there's also the attention span thing. Um, you know, kids have a five-minute attention span. They're not watching a three-hour baseball game. Then there's the technical aspect of the game. Baseball is difficult to play. It's, it's not that easy to play. There's rotation on the field when a ball's hit, where you cover, where you don't cover. Listen, I live near a, a, a baseball field, and I walk my dog two, three times a day through that field, and I watch kids practice, and I watch coaches trying to teach kids between the ages of 8 and 12 baseball. And to watch the frustration on these coaches, which are really going way overboard in teaching rotation plays in this and that, it's complicated. It's, it's not an easy game to play. There's a lot of things that happen in a baseball game. And kids are getting turned off to the game for many reasons. It's not moving fast enough. The game is outpriced a lot of the fans um, with TV now, you don't have to worry about going to games because the game is on every channel. I think there's way too many games. I think 162 games is way too many. And not only that, with the games starting in April, the, it's cold. The game's ending, the season's ending in October into the playoffs. Again, it's cold. I, I think Major League Baseball needs an overhaul. I really do. I'm a person who loves the, the, the purity of the game, the sanctity of the game. But Major League Baseball, which in 2016 is more accessible than ever to the world. We have players from Asia, players from South America like never before. Cuba is now going to start joining in Major League Baseball. Players from all over the world. We have this World Baseball Classic. The game is more global than ever. In a country like America, that's this big, huge melting pot, and the stadiums are as empty as ever. That's a problem. And I have to tell you, I love going to a baseball stadium. I really do. I enjoy going to a ballpark, especially a nice one. Um, I've been out to San Francisco. I've seen the Giants play. Um, Really a fun place to see a game. I've been to Dodger Stadium fun place to see a game um I, I love the old yankee stadium new yankee stadium you can keep it um i gotta get to pnc i've been to arizona talk about affordable and and they they just are fan friendly you could walk down during batting practice but our national pastime um is just being left in the past it's no longer a pastime it's a past event um and it's a shame Um, because as someone who really enjoys baseball and and really finds it to be a part of our fiber, it's a shame what's happened. Anyway, I just wanted to throw my two cents in about baseball and what's happening with our pastime. I think we covered some good stuff. The transgender law thing in North Carolina, again, there's so many levels to that. you got to really look into that. Um, Politics, Democrats and Republicans, all the same. And, you know, what's the status of... What, you know what? Email me. Tell me, what are people doing now that they're not going to baseball games? Are people just going down the shore, barbecuing, picnicking? I don't even know because stadiums are empty. No one's going to games anymore. Where are people going? 
Um, another podcast in the book. This one got a little bit long, like some of the older ones I did. Hope you enjoyed it. Everybody, Vince August, thank you for listening.